Okay, so hello everyone and welcome to Blogging Theology. Uh, today I'm delighted to talk again to Professor Keith Ward. You're most welcome, sir. Hello. Yeah, thank you. Um, uh, we, we spoke to uh, Keith Ward, uh, I think it was April last year, so it's just been just over a, a year since um, he was a guest on Blogging Theology. And for those who don't know, Keith is actually an, an English Anglican priest, philosopher and theologian. He is a fellow of the British Academy and a priest of the Church of England. Comparative theology and the relationship between science and religion are two of his main topics of interest. And he was Regis Professor of Divinity at the University of Oxford from 1991 to 2004. Now, some years ago, when I worked in Holborn, which is part of central London, I was in the audience when Keith gave a lunchtime lecture at Gresham College, which, by the way, has been giving lectures to the public since 1592. I kid you not. And the, the lecture was entitled Religion and the Quantum World, Religion and the Quantum World. And I remember being utterly enthralled and fascinated by the presentation, which, amongst other things, demonstrated why materialism this uh, materialist doctrine is no longer tenable and why idealism, philosophical idealism, is a much more plausible worldview. Now, all this in the light of quantum mechanics, in other words, in the light of the new physics, modern physics. So today, Keith has very kindly agreed to discuss this subject again on blogging theology. So would you like to introduce us to this topic, Keith? Right. right. Thank you, Paul. Um, yes. I can't remember my Gresham College lecture, but I, I've got a, some more things I can say. Uh, and I do think you're right. You stated it very carefully and accurately. I thought that uh, materialism is no longer a scientific option, but uh, idealism is more plausible. It's not uh, overwhelmingly obvious, <laughs> even to quantum physicists, but lots of them do accept it. So, what I do is I take three of the major themes of quantum theory, and I won't be technical, so there's a bit of oversimplification going on. There are no equations or diagrams. Uh, but these three things um, are what have changed physics out of all recognition since 1905. Uh, the quantum revolution started in 1905 with a paper by Einstein, which uh, proved that um, light doesn't only move in waves, light waves, but moves in particles, uh, quanta. And that's why it's called the quantum revelation. And so the first thing I want to talk about briefly is the wave-particle duality, which all particle physicists accept. Uh, but nobody understands. As Richard Feynman, a very leading practitioner, said, no one understands quantum mechanics. So I'm not going to pretend that I do. If Richard Feynman did, I certainly couldn't possibly. But it works. That is to say, we wouldn't have mobile phones or any the computers, anything like that, without quantum mechanics. It definitely works. It's what it means or what it implies about reality that is so difficult. And the wave-particle duality can be put um, picturesquely by looking at Higgs boson. That was in the news fairly recently. 
uh, when I say recently, I mean in the last 10 years, I suppose. And uh, Higgs boson is, was said to be a particle, a particle discovered in CERN in Geneva, uh, which uh, that particle gives mass uh, to all objects in the universe. And you may say, how can a particle give mass to everything in the universe? And the answer to that is totally weird, but correct. And it is that the Higgs boson as a particle is the signature particle of an infinite field which extends, like gravity, throughout the whole universe. And it does, in fact, give mass to particles which pass through it. Uh, so it's not just a particle, it's a field. And field theory is what is taken over, really, from particle theory. So people used to think, well, atoms are like little billiard balls and they bump into one another and they make up more complicated things. Well, <clears throat> nowadays, quantum magnetists would say, well, it's not that atoms don't exist, it's that they're actually um, things that we seem to observe but show a deeper reality which are fields of force. You know, everybody knows the one equation. I'm sorry, I'm going to mention one equation, but everybody knows this one. E equals mc squared. Uh, energy is mass times the speed of light squared. Energy and mass are equivalent, in other words. So mass, that's which makes little particles, which makes things, which makes them heavy, uh, is identical with energy, which takes many different forms. So it doesn't have to be material. It doesn't have to be stuff, heavy stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So when you talk about waves and particles, um, you're saying something rather complex. So I'll give you the formula straight away in English. Uh, and that is that... Um, Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. <laughs> there are probability waves. These are waves. They're um, not physical waves. They're probability waves. And if you take the square of the amplitude of a probability wave, it will give you the probability of finding a particle at some point. Oh, that's a bit complicated. But what it means is um, there's a huge argument in quantum mechanics about whether waves actually exist or whether they are mathematical constructs, which because you've got to square them to get uh, the probability of finding a particle. The important thing is that probability has taken over from certainty. Right. If you look at Newtonian physics, it looks as though everything's certain if you get your initial parameters correct, you can predict what's going to happen next. Incidentally, um, Newton himself didn't believe that, but that's what other people made of Newton. Oh, so really? they yeah, no, he's and I didn't realize that. That's an interesting caveat there. Yeah, right. But um, he thought gravity was actually objects were connected at a distance by God. <laughs> but he yes. didn't say that in his physics. He just said, We won't talk about that. <laughs> um, so, anyway, he did have the things which other people interpreted as uh, a deterministic. Yeah. Uh, relationship between things. So you could predict everything from one initial state. 
Now, in field theory and quantum mechanics, that's not true. You can only predict probabilities. And that's very important because, of course, improbable things can happen. In fact, some uh, quantum mechanists, including um, Brian Cox of television fame, uh, he actually wrote a book called <clears throat> Everything That Can Happen Does Happen. So he really wants even the very improbable things to happen somewhere, maybe not in this universe, but it's in some universe. That's just to show you how far quantum mechanics has moved away from Newton's idea of one absolute space in which you locate little massive, heavy gravitational bodies. And instead, you've got an Einsteinian space, which is bendy, which uh, space-time bends uh, and uh, moves around and shifts. So it's not an absolute reality. Uh, and you have a probabilistic wave fields, which give you the probability of finding particles, but they're not themselves particles. One other example I'll take simply is that an electron, when I was at school, I was told that an electron was a little thing like a planet uh, of negative electric charge moved around the nucleus of an atom which had a positive charge. Now, that is, is totally wrong because electrons aren't just particles. That There are probabilities of finite particles under certain experimental conditions. But if you say, what is really there? It's not a particle. Well, the particle comes about when it's observed. Um, quantum mechanists talk about collapsing the wave function. So you have a wave function, which is a very mathematical uh, entity, and you collapse that, uh, and you see a particle. Mm -hmm. uh, let me uh, just final remark about that element that I'm talking about. I'm going to mention now uh, the, the John Wheeler uh, delayed choice uh, double split experiment. Or drum, uh, uh, so what this is is you have a you fire photons uh, through two slits, mm -hmm. and uh, if it's a photon that you've got, if it's a particle, then it will go through one slit or the other slit, but not both. Right, And it will produce on a screen on the other side of the slit, it will produce a wave interference pattern, which is like a uh, bandwidth, as if waves were hitting the shore. You get a pattern of sound. Right? So that shows that light is a wave. But if you shoot a photon through a double slit and you record, you observe... It's doing so by having a device which will record which slit it goes through. Right. Remember, it's supposed to only go through one or, yeah. or, or it goes through both. We don't know which. Well, if you observe it, it turns into a particle. So fire a photon through a double slit and you get a wave pattern. Right. But observe it going through the slit, and you get a particle hitting the screen. And part so you get little spots on the screen. It's not a wave pattern at all. So observing it changes what it does. It changes what it is. So uh, he would say, Wheeler would say, but that means the wave is changed into a particle when you observe it. Uh, it's even worse than that, because if you let the photon go through the split, you don't know whether it has gone through both to be a wave, or one, to be a particle. You don't know that. Mm. After it's gone through the split, you observe it. You have a little device for observing it. You still find it turns into a particle, even after it's gone through the slits. So oh. 
That is why it's incomprehensible. Nobody knows why that happens at all. But the bottom line is this, because the bottom line is what you seem to have in reality is wavelengths, which are not physical. They're more mathematical, really. They're, they're, they're constructs more than anything else. They stand for something, but we not certainly not particles. But when you observe them, you will get particles. And the bottom line there is observation creates particles, i.e. mass. Particles are massive things. They've got mass. So uh, that, that's, that makes the link between mind, consciousness, observation, and physical reality. And so that's why materialism doesn't seem uh, to be uh, appropriate or adequate for quantum mechanics. It, it, it's just not loves of matter. It's a much more complicated process. So People like Roger Penrose, for example, who with Stephen Hawking uh, did the black holes mathematics, um, he's, he says, uh, actually, the platonic, he calls it platonic reality of mathematics, is more real than the physical things that we observe. So matter is not even totally real. It's just an appearance to us, to the human mind, of something which is mathematically expressible, but whatever it is, it's not matter, but it's, it's something we can't picture at all. I mean, he's invoking the name of Plato, the, this ancient Greek philosopher, who was basically yes. out of uh, a respectable society with, with the rise of modern science at the beginning, which was uh, much more focusing on the material reality of this world rather than the, the transcendent reality of ideas and forms and so on. So you're saying right. that he's the Plato seems to have come back through the come in again through the back door, back back in credibility. Oh, through very much, very much so. I mean, nowadays quantum mechanists are speaking about the multiverse, and the multiverse is many, many, many universes, maybe infinitely, but a huge number of other universes. Now, if you think about that, these are space times which are not in our space time. So if you ask the question, where are they? The answer is they're not anywhere. <laughs> not anywhere in our space-time. So you said, well, some quantum theorists talk about super space, but they're just inventing a word for that. They just mean there are completely different space-times and they perhaps operate on different principles. Uh, we don't know. As Brian Cox said, maybe every possible universe exists. Maybe there are millions of them. Um, and I think the astronomer Royal believes that as well. So it's quite a widely held belief. But it's very controversial. I mean, what's controversial is, is it sensible to talk about many, many different universes? Um, or is it sensible to talk about platonic mathematical entities which somehow are seen by us as physical things? That's the Plato bit. Or do you just give up and say, I'm not going to ask that question. I'm just going to do the maths. Right? And they take it's not so materialism is dead therefore it can't it yeah. can't anyway cope with the extraordinary probabilities and complexities of quantum quantum yeah. fields not dealing with discrete bill uh you know like balls or billiard balls where you could just tap and yeah. see not, nothing like that it's to do with probabilities no. and fields there are and no billiard balls yeah. and all that jazz um no. but uh but so but so idealism then is is the, an obvious thing to look to but also you can simply shrug your shoulders like like the french do here and say 
We don't know. We're agnostic. <laughs> that, that's right. I think that that is a very widespread view. I mean, people like Brian Cox uh, is visibly contemptuous of religion. He doesn't. He doesn't have any time for religion. But that means he's failing to make the link between the fact that all these many universes are no longer made of matter. It's energy in different wave forms and probabilities. Well, where are you to say that those exist? Well, now this is the bit that is that is that wouldn't be accepted, but would be respectfully heard by all quantum mechanists. It could be the mind of God. You say, well, mathematical entities. You know, uh, Plato didn't put them anywhere. Uh, he just said, well, they are. They just are mathematical entities. But in fact, mathematics exists in minds that's where maths exists and uh, so to say that the mathematical reality which is behind the appearances of the material universe is the mind of god makes sense now i've never met a quantum mechanist and i know a lot of them <laughs> uh, who thinks that's ridiculous so they don't all believe it or even if they believe in the mind of god they say well i don't mean the Jewish God. I don't mean the Old Testament God. I don't mean the Christian God, right? No. Because they, they don't like those mm, legends, as Einstein would have called them, for example. But Einstein himself believed in a, a vast intelligence, a mathematically elegant intelligence underlying the universe. And that's why he said things like, God doesn't let dice with the universe, because you know, he had this idea of a, of a mind-like reality, which underlies the physical reality that we see. So that's the, that's the first part I wanted to make, just as a, a, a general acceptance that um, there are wave fields and that particles are probably produced by observation. But how you interpret that further, whether you get to God or not, seems to me very likely that you do. But to many people, they prefer to remain agnostic about that. They'd say, but it's not matter anyway. It's something more than matter. You know, even Stephen Hawking, who was not a theist at all, um, even he did say that the Big Bang, when the universe originated and the whole existence of the universe springs from something beyond space and time, which is mathematically elegant. And uh, that's the move. That's the revolution. So that's the first part. Uh, right. uh, the second, the second is they are interconnected, and they won't take as long. Uh, the second one is indeterminacy. This is the Heisenberg indeterminacy principle. Again, um, it is just a fact has been experimentally proved many times um, that it is absolutely impossible to predict to tell, to describe, to pin down uh, both the location and the uh, momentum, the, um, the speed really, um, of a fundamental particle, right? Given we're looking at particles with particle accelerators and so on, you can't, if you know their location, you can't know their momentum. And if you know their momentum, you can't tell their location. That's because they're waves. Right, a wave. <laughs> you might know what speed is going, but you can't say where it is because it's spread out. It's spread out over the whole universe, in fact. So it has no location. But if you get a location, you're making it into a particle, really. And then you can't say what speed it's going. So again, that's totally counterintuitive. Mm -hmm. And quantum mechanists, I think, totally agreed on saying this is not just human ignorance. It's a fact about the world.
Oh, well, but that, that's a really important point because I, I know people who say, oh, no, it's simply because of our ignorance that we can't comprehend this. But you're saying it's intrinsically, intrinsically yeah. uh, um, unknowable. And that's exactly. a really important. So it doesn't matter about the advance of science. We cannot know intrinsically the position and the momentum of, uh, of these things. Yeah, uh, that's true. And uh, the reason for that is they're not really particles. <laughs> right. So they're speaking of them as though they're particles. It's helpful in some ways, but actually it's not true to reality. So um, so it's a very important, this is called objective uh, indeterminacy. It's not subjective. It's not, I just can't okay. tell. It's that actually it, reality is not like that at all. Now, what way bringing, you don't have to bring religion in here either, but if you did want to bring God in, you'd be able to say, actually, we can show that the universe is not deterministic just by physical laws. It is indeterminate. There are open futures. There are different ways in which ways could think could go. And we simply don't know. We, we can prove that we can know all the causal factors which make things happen as they do because his location and momentum we improve you can't know both of those mm -hmm. and of course there's also dark energy and dark matter there are hundreds of things we don't know so it'd be stupid to say i know every causal thing in the universe and so i can prove that the deterministic view is true you can't say that so you must see the universe as open and that leaves it open for there to be divine action in the universe without breaking any laws no. because the laws are only probabilistic i think that's an advance in understanding so that that's the principle of indeterminacy the third one the last one I'll talk about is entanglement. Now, that's a very interesting one. Um, it was John Bell in 1964 in Geneva who came up with the Bell theorem and the notion of entanglement. She's very new, 1964. It's not all that long ago. Uh, and entanglement is that if two fundamental particles, talk about particles again, remembering they're not just particles, but let's say if two fundamental particles interact so exchange electric charge for example with each other and then they separate and go off perhaps light years away from each other they continue to interact forever yep. so if the electric charge on one of them say four light years away changes from positive to negative then the other particle it interacted with which is let us suppose still on earth will change from negative to positive and, and, that, and this happens instantaneously, does it not? It's not like ten hours or a million years. It's instantaneously. It's instantaneous. And of course, right. for Einstein's theory of relativity, nothing can go faster than the speed of light. So this is quite impossible. Absolutely. Uh, and yet, uh, this has been empirically demonstrated now. Beyond many, this is, this is an empirical fact. It's an empirical fact. Um, there are different attempts to understand it, but remember John Wheeler, uh, or Richard Feynman, sorry, who said you can't really understand it, you just got to accept that's what it's like. But the thing is, if the Big Bang theory is true, which it probably is, mm. then at the beginning of this universe, every particle, when they started to originate uh, and come into existence, was entangled with every other. And that means that every particle in the universe, as it's expanded, is still affected by every other particle in the universe.
Wow. In other words, you can only understand what's happening in one part of the universe if you understand the whole universe and the way that it's entangled with things. As John Polkinghorn, who taught me most ah. of what I know about quantum physics, as he used to say, um, he, uh, if a particle uh, a million light years away from here changes its electric charge, or uh, then that will affect things on the Earth. Now, those effects are usually subatomic, so we're not going to usually notice them. But of course, sometimes they will, uh, at critical points, have, have huge effects. And we can never tell when that will happen because we can't get a, a million light years away. So uh, the causal nexus of the universe is very, it's more holistic. It's more interwoven than anything that Newton might have imagined. Actually, we talked about Newton very briefly. And let me quote what he said in Principia Mathematica, his great work. He, um, he actually said, no, nobody with any intelligence would think that it was possible for objects to influence one another at a distance. And that's Newton. <laughs> and you're uh, wrong, unfortunately. So, yeah. Well, yes, he, he was wrong about that, but it, it remains a problem. And it, it, it showed, that's because of the fields in quantum mechanics, in field theory, which are infinite, of course, um, there's, there isn't a gap between them. The, the, like gra the gravitational field it operates throughout the universe. If you say, where is it? It's just everywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what Newton didn't get. He couldn't see yeah. how these objects... Because um, although Newton was a, a Christian believer, he... Um, did he was a mechanist as well actually he did he did think the matter w was lumps of stuff yeah but when you get away from that idea then of course there can be causal connections which are not physical they don't obey einstein's theory of relativity mm -hmm. and this is one of the problems of modern physics it is a, i've checked this out with many physicists and they all assure me it's true but they don't think it's relevant. <laughs> but what is true is that Einstein's theory of relativity contradicts quantum mechanics. There's a contradiction. They don't worry about it because quantum mechanics is about very, very small things, subatomic things, okay. and um, relativity is about very large things. So it doesn't. They don't have to worry about about it. But they will admit that theoretically something's got to give. One day, some genius will come along and unite yeah. them. It'll be a new paradigm, and some, somehow this will, this will make sense on a, on, a, on a big scale and a small scale together. Yeah. That's right. So let me try to bring that to a conclusion there. I mean, I think one thing it shows is that science is only the beginning of understanding the universe. There are the many things that science does not understand. That doesn't mean religion is going to explain it. It just means science can't exclude it so uh, you can't say we've got a, a completely adequate picture of the universe like Richard Dawkins has said to me on occasion we've got a complete understanding of the universe we don't need anything else well that's as far from the truth as you could possibly get we, we now know we understand hardly anything we know nothing about dark energy really so uh, we've got 
uh, wave-particle duality. We've got the entanglement of all things in the universe with each other, even on a physical level. We've got prob probability and indeterminacy in the universe. Well, that's a very different universe. It's more, it's more dynamic. It's more open. It's more relational. Uh, and the causal factors in such a universe are much more open to non-physical influences. And I presume God would, of course, be a non-physical influence. So my understanding is a lot of quantum physicists do not like talking about God because they think they would have to play guitars and wave their hands in the air and do all sorts of things like that. They don't like that bit of God in churches. So like but if you talk about... Um, uh, the elegant mathematical structure of the universe and uh, its beauty and awesomeness and its openness and its probabilistic nature, they'll say, yes, uh, it is much more mysterious and much more awesome than we ever thought. Um, if you want to call that God, they might say, well, you can do that. But, <laughs> you know, um, it's certainly, we're certainly open to the idea, but... I mean, we're not going to become religious. That's that's the general attitude. Although some are religious, let me let me end my exposition with with one or two quotes. Oh, please! Uh, from Max Planck. I mean, these are all absolutely top rate. These are Nobel Prize winning physicists. I think <laughs> they're all prize. Wheeler and others are, are all physicists at the highest level. Yeah, they are. Yeah, and Max Planck says, "I regard consciousness as fundamental. Matter is derivative from consciousness." Wow. Eugene Wigner, the content of consciousness is an ultimate reality. John von Neumann, perhaps the best mathematician of them all, said, "All real things are contents of consciousness." So that's just three quotes, and there are lots of others too, to show that that idealistic view that consciousness and things in the mind are actually prior to and causes of physical things. And the physical things are appearances to us, to our brains, of things um, that we can't even picture, though mathematics gives us a little... Um, uh, explanation of how things work. So, so the world of science since 1905, it's as mm. new as that, has changed out of all recognition. And, and um, the sad thing is that in schools, this because quantum physics is so difficult, it's not usually made a big thing of. And I think clergy in particular, or theologians, don't like to get involved in science too much. Again, because it's a it's a different subject altogether. Um, but I think people like John Paul Cuhorn, and there are many others too, um, who, who are um, quantum physicists, um, understand that uh, the world has changed and we need to see matter not as the one important and ultimate reality, but as something manifesting something more mysterious beyond it, something mathematically elegant, and maybe something very like a cosmic mind and mm. i think that that's the most plausible view that i myself can think of so mm. yeah.
Well, thank you. Thank you for that exposition. Absolutely fascinating. And uh, some sort of key key themes struck me there. The mysteriousness of this new science, this new physics, since 1905 or something, where Einstein, he worked as a clerk in a patent office, didn't he? Yes. Here was this humble clerk writing uh, stuff, physics, which would just overthrow uh, uh, the received 19th century paradigm and for that yeah. small uh, almost like the butterfly effect in chaos you know had this potential yeah. effect and changed absolutely everything but but also that, that, that the universe is in some sense an expression of consciousness this idea of the the primacy of consciousness which for religious persons just another word for something else of course the g word which we yeah we can't right. mention polite society in many places but it's just a, um, a kind of a secularized way of speaking of the same reality the consciousness is the fundamental and you give them these incredible quotes uh here and yeah i'm also struck by uh talking to to people not religious people how that materialism still se- seems to be a thing out there yep. in the zeitgeist, in the it media uh, yep. and yet we're kind of behind the curve on this are we not if we're still inhabiting this paradigm because as you say the physics has moved on since a patents clerk in 1905 in Switzerland, um, yep. and a, a revolution in our understanding of physics. So yep. I thought it interesting how things lag behind in the in in society behind our understandings in they physics. And part of this is because a lot of the understanding of the scientific world is not from physicists but from biologists, uh, like Richard Dawkins, for example. Awesome who's a zoologist, and uh, they don't really concern themselves professionally with ultimate questions about the nature of the universe and uh, whether waves or particles are important. They don't deal with that. They deal with things they can touch and feel and cells and DNA, which they can see with microscopes. Uh, And also biology is notoriously difficult for a for a believer uh, because uh, there are so many tragedies and deaths and extinctions and and so for a biologist they don't like to think there is purpose they hate that that there is purpose in the universe and i think that's what's contributed to the understanding but they don't always see and i'm I'm afraid i'm sorry to say richard dawkins doesn't always see that actually biology depends upon physics and in the (laughs) end the things that happen in biology are going to be physically um, caused. So you have to know the nature of the physical before you can fully understand the biological. So I myself think biology will have a similar revolution to the quantum revolution in physics uh, quite soon, I should think. I, well, I, I, hope, I hope you're right. But, but if consciousness is the, the fundamental reality out of which emerges or is expressed by the consciousness, the physical universe we have, if that's the, the underlying philosophical premise of, of, of idealism or the worldview that, that you, yeah. you're articulating, then we as conscious beings, as particular instances of, of consciousness, um, our brains then are, are, it's kind of a top down, to use Polkinghorne's top down, yeah. bottom up, and that language he uses in his books. Well, if people don't know, John Polkinghorne, who very sadly recently passed away, was professor of uh, physics, theoretical, mathematical physics, I should say, at the University of Cambridge. He was a yep. leading quantum physicist. He worked at CERN. And then later in his career, he resigned and became, an, uh, like Keith, a, a priest of the Church of England, uh, but yep. also, like Keith, a, a major Christian theologian. He was a, a scientist slash 
theologian, uh, distinguished in both fields, which is yeah. a remarkable uh, achievement. Um, and, and you've obviously uh, referenced him there. But so coming back to the particular minds that we inhabit, if that's the right way, are, are you saying that, and this, this touches on the biology side of things, right. if our minds um, are, if consciousness is prior and our, and our conscious minds are in some sense an expression of this more fundamental consciousness, are our brains then, uh, how do we how do we describe our brain, are the material uh, yes, physical uh, brain within yeah. that paradigm? Are, are, are they conduits or mechanisms or what kind of language do we use to express our brains in that paradigm? That Instruments, I would say. The brain is the instrument of consciousness. Okay. Uh, and the brain is what? Uh, filters out information from that unknown quantum world and turns it into things which we can understand, like colors. The colors, um, you know, we're wearing bluish uh, shirts, <laughs> uh, but blue doesn't exist in the world of physics. I mean, it's just a wavelength of light. Yes. Um, but uh, our brain actually turns that uh, into um, a conscious experience of blue. So the brain is a sort of instrument, a medium, uh, a channel uh, between a physical universe and uh, the nature of mind. So uh, what I, when we talk about idealism, I don't mean there is no physical universe. I mean there is a physical universe, but it couldn't exist without mind. So you're disagreeing with George Berkeley or Bishop Berkeley, uh, who famously held to immaterialism. It seems to be saying that he appeared to deny the existence of material substance altogether. And what we perceive is simply everything is ideas perceived by the mind. You're saying, no, no, there is a mind-independent objective reality of a material nature out there. So you haven't gone as far as Berkeley did in his... Well, I think Berkeley did actually uh, say what I'm saying, and that he's he is widely misunderstood by by other people. But um, the thing is that um, the consciousness has evolved. Is uh, you get conscious at various levels. I mean, uh, animals, etc. Humans are the best things we know on this planet, probably from a point of view of consciousness. Uh, but it's, it has evolved in a certain way. And, but the evolving world itself is a content of the divine mind. And I think this is what Berkeley was saying. He wasn't saying there's. He raises the question in one of his books, um, what if there was a desert with no human beings ever seeing it? Would it exist? Hmm. And he says, yes, it would, because the mind of God would make it exist. There is a mind, but it's not your mind. It's the mind of God. So Berkeley did think there were physical things, but the physical things were, were actually ideas in the mind of God, not in your mind. So they, they're there whether you're uh, or not. <laughs> right. So the, the so, colours, uh, so, so when I leave my room, and this has various colours, when I, when I leave the room, uh, as far as I'm concerned, that the colours don't exist. They're just they're just products of wave uh, particle yeah. uh, wave theory and so. On. But you are you saying because God perceives it, therefore the colours do actually exist in the mind of God and persist in some way? Well, Berkeley had two senses of the word idea when he said we are, all ideas are in the mind. One sense is what we see, the coloured world of three dimensional mm -hmm. solid objects. If we 
didn't exist or if we weren't looking, if we weren't in the room, that wouldn't exist. But there would be something that existed, which would be the idea in the mind of God. That would be the quantum world. Oh. So it's the quantum world. And he, he didn't say that, of course. He didn't know about the quantum world. But he did make a distinction between ideas in God and ideas that God made perceptible to humans. Right. Right, so there is that distinction. So, um, in fact, it's not as Bach is not as bad as he sounds. If so there's no matter, uh, there is matter. Is widely misunderstood because I, I, I misunderstood in the, in the immaterialist sense of denying. Anyway, but we, we've covered that. But uh, he did. I I agree. I see why you said because he did call himself an immaterialist, mm. but he also said if you want to call these ideas in the mind of God matter, that's all right by me. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Well, that's kind of reassuring, I suppose. So j just to tease this one a bit further. So uh, we, we, we've agreed that consciousness is, is the fundamental reality. It's prior to uh, any uh, particular material extants that we see. And, yeah. and these, these material realities are expressive or the products or created, uh, are, are being created ongoing, cratio continua, by this consciousness. So does yeah. that not mean then that in terms of uh, evolution, human evolution, other forms of evolution, that, that we are dealing with a mind-directed process and, and not as some biologists or zoologists, we might have mentioned before, believe a purely non-teleological, non-directed process, which is utterly random and purposeless. Uh, yeah. We're dealing with teleology here. That's what I'm trying. Is that now coming back in? Well, um, I think it is utterly wrong to say that the processes of mutation in biology are random. They're not random. They're probabilistic. <laughs> that's, that's the whole point. I mean, they're, they're governed by the laws of physics. And there are laws of physics. I mean, there are laws. You can't turn into an elephant overnight. I mean, there, there are laws which kind of direct give you certain possibilities. But the laws are probabilistic. So they give open alternatives, but not infinitely extended alternatives, just within a limited range. So to talk about randomness is a bit misleading. I've heard biologists talk about um, um, errors, transmission errors, when, you, when cells mutate, as, as they do, and they say there are copying errors in mutation. But these copying errors led to us. I mean, that's hard to see them as errors, really. Mm. They're changes, they're mutations, in accordance with the probabilistic laws of physics. So that's what many biologists hadn't grasped, the probabilistic nature uh, of things, which has changed the universe from an unconscious, uncomplicated, unstructured, inelegant beginning, the Big Bang, when there was no complexity and no organization at all, to the existence of life forms which are able to understand their own natures and change them to some degree. Now, if that's not progress, I don't know what is really. Then it's clearly progress. So it looks as though... Uh, mutations are probabilistic changes which tend towards increasing organized complexity over millions of years. Right. And that's so obvious. I don't see how anybody could deny it, really. But, but they do because they've got 
they're myopic, really. <laughs> biologists, I hope you're all listening, biologists. They're myopic. They just think that uh, this we take this little bit of organic history and, and look at that and look at all the mistakes that happen. But they forget about the overall change from unconscious rocks to conscious human beings capable of love and understanding and wisdom. And that's the universe changing, growing, developing, unfolding. Surely, teleology is fundamental. Right. So the teleology, the trajectory is is clear. There's a, there is a, a, a trajectory from, uh, as you say, th- th- this point of singularity at the very beginning, if one can talk in temporal terms, to yeah. w- today, to when the universe has become conscious through us, at the very least through us. Yeah. And, and that's remarkable. And you see this ever-increasing uh, complexity and order and beauty and wisdom and you mentioned and the higher the higher uh, values of love and and uh, joy and, and, and many other things also are part of that and they're not just random epi- epiphenomena that just kind of byproducts they seem to be the as one physicist said the universe seemed to know we were coming there seems to have been yes. a, uh, <laughs> uh, is a lovely uh, expression yeah yeah i think that's right and um it's very hard to deny. And, and of course, uh, a lot of um, scientists actually calling themselves transhumanists are aware that consciousness will go on. We're not the end of it. That consciousness will carry on and co- presumably evolve further. So that gives a perspective to it, which uh, um, is more attractive, you know, than uh, some people think evolution means we're all monkeys. Actually, it means, no, uh, that uh, we we were little eggs at one point, literally, all of us, uh, but we're developing into conscious, rational, feeling, thinking beings. And uh, that, if, if everybody says that's not a progress, I, I don't know what, what they would think progress was. <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it just is striking the eyes. It's the elephant to use the elephant again. The elephant, elephant in the room is this extraordinary trajectory, uh, which uh, is is apparently denied by some. Anyway, um, yeah. just in conclusion, uh, perhaps to end, uh, are, are you working on any any uh, projects at the moment in terms of books or, or other projects yourself? Well, I'm thinking that I ought to stop. Really, I, I I've, I've written uh, quite a lot of books and. Um, the, I suppose I prefer what we're talking about, the, the one that I just happen to have with me. <laughs> Where have I put it? I can't get it. Oh, there we are. That's the Priority of Mind. Yes, I can see it. The Priority of Mind. Yes. It's quite a short book. Um, but that really puts the points that, um, uh, that we've been talking about uh, today. So I've just finished that and um, it's just been published and Oh, it has been published, so I, I can link to we can I can link to it in the description below. Can I on the? Yes, yes, yeah. it's okay. uh, published by Cascade, right? It's an American publisher. Anyway, um, so I've done that, so I'm having a rest at the moment. I'm I haven't yes. stopped thinking, but uh, <laughs> no, which was impossible if you stop thinking. Well, no, I'll, I'll link to that. That's that's fantastic. Priority of mind. I like the title there. It suggests a world of possibilities. Uh, yes, uh, very, very good. Uh, well, th- thank you very much, in- indeed, Professor Keith Wall, for your okay. valuable uh, time. Really appreciate it. Um, I think I actually might link also to um, the uh, Gresham College lecture, which is actually still online. Uh, you can, yeah. all right. Because um, I-, I dug it up earlier on to see if it was around. It is. That's I actually the same. 
Did I say the same things? Do you think? Yes. Well, um, not no. You didn't m mention the um, the um, the, well, the 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 hospital. Um, uh, sorry, there was something that was discovered in the last ten years that you uh, you mentioned. Um, I forgot what it was called now, but there was one more recent scientific development you you couldn't have yep. mentioned because this lecture was more than ten years ago. But other than that, um, broadly. Yeah, it's the same. Yeah, yeah. I think. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you haven't changed your mind. <laughs> oh, good, good. good. Um, um, so, yeah, so that's it. So thank you very much indeed, sir, thank for you. your work. And it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Thank you. And sorry about